Welcome to the Wealth is in the Details podcast. In this podcast, financial planner Peter Raskin helps families and business owners understand and prepare for their wealth journey. Along the way, thoughtful and detailed planning can provide clarity and confidence as clients confront a multitude of financial decisions. Listen in as Peter shares stories and insight into people's wealth journeys. Now, let's get into today's podcast. Hello and welcome to Wealth is in the Details with Peter Raskin from Raskin Planning Group. Hello, Peter. How are you? I'm great, Eric. How are you? Oh, I'm fantastic. I love talking to you. And it's been a little while, so I'm, I'm, it's nice to be back in your company. And I know we got a, quite the subject today, right? We're going to be talking Very about the SECURE exciting. Act. Yeah, the SECURE Act. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you, Peter, is this, is this necessary? <laughs> you, you brought us back together to talk about taxes. And that, oh, how much fun this is going to be. <laughs> oh, it is. It is. And, and, and Eric, I can't agree more with your Oof. assessment of, yeah. uh, of tax law and legislation. But uh, you know, just looking after looking at this at this the, the Secure Act, I just felt that it was it was important enough to and relevant enough for us to really talk about it as far as retirement income and and, and retirement planning. So th- this tax law is going to actually affect a lot of clients and. I also would I thought it would help describe some of the challenges that that many of our listeners and their kids will will need to deal with over a long period of time. All right, Peter, I trust you, but I will I will warn people that are driving. That, you know, it's ta- we're talking <laughs> about taxes here, so don't doze off because we're we're going to get into it. It's going to be great. It's always a great podcast. But I'm going to ask you a favor, Peter, to keep folks awake and get them engaged. I'm going to ask you for examples. I think examples for me, for you to paint a picture of what that looks like and it, you know, so I can kind of put myself in the shoes of your example. That's what I need. Is that okay with you? Absolutely. Agreed. All right. I know that the SECURE Act is actually a an acronym, right? The Setting Every Community Up for Retirement Enhancement Act or the SECURE Act, right? <laughs> that's, that's a mouthful, Peter. But can you can you boil it down to us and like just describe it to us? What is the Secure Act? Yeah, so so the goal, the initial goal of the Secure Act, is to provide opportunities for individuals to save more for retirement. Mm-hmm. So that was the purpose of this legislation, and there's really a lot in in the Secure Act that we won't be discussing today. It's it, it's it is actually quite large. Uh, there's lots of provisions that affect retirement plans and some other aspects for individual planning that we're not going to get into. So our focus today is really is primarily on how it affects individual retirement accounts or IRAs. So like most tax changes, there are provisions in there that will help some and no surprise, they'll hurt others. Mm -hmm. So what I thought I'd do is just talk about a few different changes that have occurred. So change number one is beginning after December 31st, 2019, there is no longer a prohibition for someone who's attained age 70 and a half to make contributions to a traditional IRA. So there's no longer that limit? Yeah. So now, for just as an example, uh, Irene is uh, 72 years old. She's still working and is, has earned income. That's very important. She still needs to have earned income to make contributions to an IRA. Mm-hmm. And starting in 2020, she can continue to make contributions to her traditional IRA. 
Okay, so is there a rule on how much she's working? I mean, Irene, I'm hoping that she's not working full-time unless she really loves what she does, but can she be working part-time and do that? Oh, yeah, as long as she's got... You, you, can't, you can't contribute more to an IRA than you earn. Oh, okay, okay, so that's and the math so of the it. maximum contribution in 2020 is $7,000, so she's got to have $7,000 of earned income in order to maximize that contribution. Mm -hmm. Okay. So and why would somebody in Irene's position want to do this to continue to contribute to an IRA? Yeah, that's a great question. There's lots of reasons. She, she just might want to continue increasing the amount in her retirement accounts. She might want a tax deduction. She might want a traditional IRA, which then she can convert to a, a Roth IRA. Mm -hmm. we, we've talked about that in, yep. in previous podcasts. So that maximum, as long as she's over age 50, is $7,000 for in, in 2020. And, you know, I, I just don't think this provision is going to affect too many people. But we have, we have clients that are 70 plus and they're still working and they, and they want to contribute more to these tax deferred accounts like IRAs. Well, I mean, that seems like a nice benefit to eliminate that because we've talked about how long people are living, right? I mean, the people are living into their 90s. So to see people working into their 70s and, and maybe even early 80s. I've seen folks working into their early 80s when they love what they do. I love that. I mean, it, it, nothing makes me happier than to see somebody who feels like they uh, you know, have something to contribute, which they always do, and, and they're enjoying it. I, I just don't want people to have to work you know, to make it, to just to get by. Yeah, so no, that's nice. Hopefully our clients are working because they want to. Absolutely. And so this just this allows those people that would have been limited prior to this tax law change to continue making contributions. So it is a nice benefit. Let's talk about the tax law change number two. And I think many people will like this as well. So under, under prior law, IRA owners were forced to take required minimum distributions starting in the year they turned age 70 and a half. Mm. So it actually, they had to make the, they, they needed to make their, take their distribution prior to April 15th of the following year. But if they if they waited until that following year, they'd have to take two required minimum distributions in that in that year. So most of our clients, when they the year they turned age 70 and a half, were to start would, would start taking required minimum distributions. Well the SECURE Act increased the required beginning date from 70 and a half to the calendar year the IRA owner attained attains age 72. Okay, so moved from 70 and a half to 72. It doesn't seem, I mean, it's only a year and a half difference. So how this, how does this affect retirees? Yeah, I mean, if, frankly, I, I don't know how, if it's going to make that much of a, of, of a huge difference. So, so let, let's back up a little bit and talk about how these calculations are, are done and, 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 and what people need to be concerned about. All right. So a required minimum distributions are really an attempt by by Congress to to force IRA owners to take distributions and realize income, taxable income, and, and basically, required minimum distributions are 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 there because the IRS wants IRA, IRA owners to begin begin paying taxes on their money, and so it's a calculation that that the IRS issues a, a tax table. It's a life expectancy table. It's published, and if you're age 70, uh, the IRS says your life expectancy is uh, 27.4 years. 
So Irene, who let's say is age was age seventy and a half, and 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 prior to to uh, twenty twenty, she had five hundred thousand dollars in her IRA, and the required minimum distribution life expectancy table said that she needs this calculation needs to be done. And the way she calculates what her RMD is, is by dividing her $500,000 that's in her IRA mm-hmm. by 27.4. Okay. So she's got to take 18, a little more than $18,000 from her IRA in that year. So that's previous law. Mm-hmm. Now, Irene can defer taking the required minimum, minimum distribution until the year she turns age 72. And there's a, a, a different life expectancy factor at, at age 72. It's a bit lower. It's 25.6 years. Got it. So now her distribution, her RMD, is going to be a bit higher. It's $19,500 approximately on that $500,000 IRA balance. Got it. Okay, yeah. So if she's weighted, that's going to be the change. All right. Yeah, so basically you're, you're deferring. Mm-hmm. And but your the amount you need to take has increased a little bit. Got it. So I think it's important to to, to note that that her RMD, her required minimum distribution, will be increasing every year. It's just the nature of the of the life expectancy table. So at age eighty, her the life ex- expectancy table is eighteen point seven, and at age ninety, the table says it's eleven point four. So if Irene, Irene is living a long time, her required minimum distribution amount is going to increase annually, which is likely going to reduce or decrease the amount that's retained in her IRA. So, so this increase in the required beginning date from 70 and a half to, to 72 is welcome news, mm-hmm. but, but I just predict it won't necessarily affect everyone because many of our clients are taking distributions prior to this this beginning date anyway. Yeah. You, you know, it's, it's good tax planning. They might need the cash flow. So yes, it is, uh, it is helpful. It, it does defer a little bit longer, but, but a lot of people won't be taking advantage of it. Got it. And, and as you said, you were talking about the required minimum distribution at different age points, right? You talked about when Irene is 80 and when she's 90 and we're talking about 72. There's a lot of ages in here. There's a lot of different formulas and, and the tables that the, the, the government uses. It gets complicated. So I'm just going to say for everybody listening to this, this is exactly why Peter has said it before. I'm, I've said it before and I'm saying it again. You have got to talk to a professional about your specific situation because there's a lot to know. There's a lot to understand about this and uh, please reach out. We'll give Peter's contact information at the end. I know Peter's more than happy to, to have that conversation with you. Again, I didn't want to derail the podcast, Peter, but boy, those numbers can get confusing. So it, it can be. Yeah. yeah it's, it's very complicated. Well, Peter, it's and it sounds like the RBD, the change to the RBD is nice. Like you said, it may not make a huge difference over time, especially if somebody lives a really long time. Yeah, that, that's right. I think that's important to keep that in mind. But but let's now talk, talk about uh, the change number three. And this is probably the one that I think clients and planners are, are really going to need to wrestle with the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this change affects non-spouse beneficiaries who are most often the children of IRA owners. Mm-hmm. 
So we're not talking about the, 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 the husband or wife who inherits the IRA, but now we're talking about the kids. Got it. So in, in summary, a non-spouse beneficiary will be forced to empty this inherited IRA within 10 years of the IRA owner's death. And that's a pretty big change from previous law. So prior to January 1st, 2020, uh, a child would be forced to take required minimum distributions over the child's life expectancy. Mm-hmm. And this was, this was, we called this in our, our, our world, we called this a stretch IRA strategy. Got it. Child would, would have to, they'd inherit an IRA from, from the, the parent. And then the child would have to recognize small amounts of income each year. Now, this stretch provision, it, it's not possible any longer. And this, the child, who may be a grown-up, who may be 60 years old, but still a child, mm-hmm. might be forced to recognize lots of income o- over a relatively short period of time. And that's the big difference. So the stretch IRA, in most cases, is not going to be allowed. I, I will say, just to, to clarify, there are a few exceptions to, the, to this 10-year mandata- mandatory distribution for an in- inherited IRAs. And in these cases the old required minimum distribution rules still apply. Okay. So let me quickly just tell you what those exceptions are. Uh, certainly the surviving spouse. A surviving spouse can will always be able to inherit IRA from, from, from their spouse who passed away and then uh, begin taking distributions based upon on their life expectancy if they're over age 72 now. Got it. So that's one exception. A second exception is a a child of the IRA owner who hasn't reached majority. And and that's age of majority under state law. So once the child reaches that age of majority, the 10-year clock starts ticking. Mm. So just as an example, a child inherits from a parent uh, an IRA account and they're 15 years old. They don't need to start taking they need to start taking required minimum distributions for that first 3 years but then then the 10 year clock starts ticking oh okay really yep so even if they're 15 years old they have to take rmds yep yep wow that's that's a little scary i'm sorry if if i was a 15 year old and i had to take required minimum distributions from an ira that was going to you know possibly give me 70 80, 90, $100,000 as a 15 year old. Oh boy, I'm in trouble. <laughs> yeah. But th- remember, that's based upon their life expectancy. So the dollar amount of distribution is going to be very, very small. Yeah. Oh, so you're saying that it's, it's based on their full life expectancy, not the three years, then plus the 10 year clock. So you're talking the probably 80 some odd years is the Correct. life expectancy. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Okay. That clears it up for me. I was going to say, uh, I'd be in trouble, <laughs> but, but yeah, that won't be nearly as much. Perfect. Right. So another exception is a disabled individual as defined by the Internal Revenue Code. Okay. And then the next exception is a a chronically ill individual also defined by the Internal Revenue Code. Mm, Okay. And so those exceptions are allow the required minimum distribution laws just just like they were prior to January 1st, 2020. And then one other exception, it's an individual who isn't more than 10 years younger than the IRA owner. 
So if, oh, if okay. so a, a non-spouse could inherit a, an IRA, and if they were less than 10 years younger than the IRA owner, they could take it out over their life expectancy. Oh, okay, so like a brother. So you, you've got a brother that's yeah. two years younger than you. He gets your IRA. He still follows the same rules as, as pre-Secure Act. Yeah, right. Perfect. Okay, that's good. Yeah. So, so let's go back to uh, Irene and, and see how this plays out. All right. So Irene is married to Jack. They have one child. Now, Irene and Jack have each have $500,000 in their, in their IRAs. They've been great savers, and they, so they've got a total of a million dollars in IRA accounts. So Jack dies, leaving Irene his $500,000. She transfers that $500,000 into her IRA, and now she's got a million dollars in an IRA in her name alone. Mm -hmm. Irene lives five more years and then dies. And then her daughter, Ingrid, is the sole beneficiary. Now, Ingrid is 60 years old. She's single. She's still working. And she's got a good, uh, a, a well-paying job. She's earning $100,000 per year. And because of that, she's in a 24% marginal tax bracket. And she plans to work until she's age 67. Okay. So what, what's Ingrid to do here? She's got a million dollars in an IRA, and she's got to take it out within 10 years. Mm -hmm. she, if, if she takes it out in, a, in one lump sum in year one, two, five, or 10, her federal marginal tax bracket is going to increase to 37%. Gee, and she'll also have to pay uh, state income taxes if, that's, if, if her state charges state income taxes. And in Massachusetts, that's another 5%. Mm, mm. So she's, a, she's got a dilemma here. What does she do? Yeah. She, and she might be better spreading her distributions over the 10-year period. Maybe that's $100,000 per year. But that's going to also increase her marginal tax bracket from 24%, maybe to 32%, mm -hmm. not including state tax. Yeah. So this is a real dilemma for Ingrid, and it means she'll have to pay more income tax over a shorter period of time than under, under the previous law. Gotcha. And so when, when we're talking to our clients now, and this is brand new, so we've just started having these conversations. I think we need to help Irene and Jack focus on their retirement income planning and how it might affect their personal planning over a longer period of time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Maybe they start taking larger distributions so they spend down their IRA faster. That may not be a bad result. Mm -hmm. Maybe they should start taking advantage of the, the qualified charitable distributions that they, they can do after, after they turn age 70 and a half. Yeah. So this is where they can make charitable gifts to charity via their IRA account and not pay any income taxes on it. So the key to this planning is to really make projections and determine the, the best course of action. Uh, we don't know how it's all going to play out exactly because we don't know how long people are going to live. We don't know the rates of return on investment accounts. We don't know cash flow needs, but we can make some, some pretty good projections based on information that we have right now, based upon our clients' objectives. Mm -hmm. And this is where that, that detailed financial planning analysis has just become so vital and important. And it's both important for Jack and Irene and also Ingrid. And the other thing I want to stress here is how important it is to bring in the expertise of 
not just the financial planner, but also the the accountant and the estate planner, because this has added a, another level of complexity, I think, to to the overall planning of a client, especially when their IRA accounts are, are, are on the larger side. Yeah. I mean, it just, just the snapshot of what you gave with, with Ingrid, you know, being 60, she wants to work till she's 67. Now she has a million dollars sitting in, in an IRA and let's say it doesn't grow at all in the 10 years, just, you know, because it just sits at a million. If it doesn't grow at all, I don't know. I, I couldn't tell you what the different tax brackets are or different tax levels. And, and maybe it's a situation where she needs to take out 50000 each year for the first seven years. And then when she's done working, she has three years where she's not working. And then she takes out the rest of it and to spread out that tax liability. But you said it best, that planning is so important because maybe she also needs to be contributing to charity each year in a way. That, and, and you've talked about different ways to do that. There's so many pieces of this puzzle, and I'll call it a puzzle, so many pieces of this puzzle that that you you mentioned an estate planner, an accountant, and the financial planner. All of them have different pieces of the puzzle. And I know you work with a big team to be able to do that, but good grief. That's a lot to think about, Peter. Yeah, it is. And I think what this new... Secure Act does is it forces a family to make decisions over a much shorter period of time, and yeah. ten years really isn't very long for a, a beneficiary to, yeah. to make those decisions. So families really need to think about it and how how it could affect their overall planning. Yeah, like you said, the Secure Act makes a huge difference on their long term planning, their retirement, their assets, what they're going to be able to give to their children, their estate. Are there other things that they should be thinking about? I mean, that's already a lot. Yeah, I think another important consideration is m- many clients that we talk to have named a, a trust as the beneficiary mm, of their mm-hmm. IRA, and th- that may still be perfectly appropriate, and it may be the exact uh, the, the the perfect plan for them, and the trust may still be just fine. But I strongly recommend that the IRA owners review their beneficiary designations in light of this secure yeah, act definitely and if a trust is involved i can't stress enough how important it is to have the estate planning attorney involved and they should review that trust and and make sure there aren't any any real negative ramifications yeah that's that's a, a, like you said it's a lot to think about the, these changes to the tax law don't necessarily make it doesn't seem at least doesn't really make a huge difference in someone's day-to-day life but we can obviously see that this makes huge changes to retirement planning. And I think the conversations that people have to have, they need to start now, right? I mean, that's, they possibly make a huge difference in in their tax costs. Yeah. And I I think that's absolutely true. And that's why I wanted to to talk about it today. Cause I I think what I really want to stress is how important it is, how these small changes can, can really uh, affect it and and how everything is so interrelated retirement taxes estate planning and it's just vital to review these plans on a regular basis so if you've you know if you've got a plan now in two three years based upon tax laws and situations and circumstances uh it may be out of date and you might need to revisit it even though you're feeling really good yeah uh, you, you really need to to, to do those updates and revise your plan because there's so much that, that can happen over time. And the SECURE Act is just an example of that. Uh, and I think it's so important, again, to bring in the, the other professionals, the, 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 the team of advisors, the planner, the accountant, the estate planning attorney, and really, really understand how these things are all connected. 
Mm-hmm. So w- with that in mind, I'm hopeful that listeners will, will reach out to me or their professionals that they're working with and ask, ask specific questions. Also, I'd like to offer uh, listeners a, a, a really good summary that we put together for this, this describing the provisions of the SECURE Act. A little bit more information than I've talked about today. Mm-hmm. And if they are interested in, in, in looking at that, they can give me a call at 617-728-7433 or send me uh, an email at peter.raskin at lfg.com. And certainly always visit our, our website, raskinplanning.com. It's a good, good resource for lots of, lots of information about the planning process. Fantastic, Peter. I learned a ton today. I mean, I, I apologize for throwing you off with some of those questions, but it is complicated. So I'm, I'm glad that I have you as a resource and I appreciate your time today. Thanks, Eric. You bet. And I, I would encourage every one of you to get that resource from Peter, the summary that he did on the SECURE Act. Use it as a checklist. Go through it and say, what do I know about? How do I know that my stuff is secure? My retirement plan is still in place. If you have any questions, put question marks next to the little sections that you're not sure about. And then reach out to your professional or, more importantly, reach out to Peter. He's already done the summary. He knows what he's talking about, as you can hear on the podcast today. You'll, he'll answer any question you've got. And more importantly, I want to thank you for listening to the Wealth is in the Details podcast with Peter Raskin. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Peter comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at Raskin Planning Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Wealth is in the Details podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Peter Raskin is a registered representative of Lincoln Financial Advisors, securities offered through Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker, dealer, member SIPC, investment advisory services offered through Sagemark Consulting, a division of Lincoln Financial Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Insurance offered through Lincoln Affiliates and other fine companies. Raskin Planning Group is not an affiliate of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You may want to consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances.